Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. As we continue through the Gospel of John. I want to tell you a story of Brad and Kevin. Brad and Kevin, two high school students, two 17-year-old high school students who last summer went to youth camp. Now, both Brad and Kevin were from a non-Christian home. They did not grow up reading the Bible. They did not grow up with Christian parents. But they were invited to go to camp, mainly because they looked at the list of girls who were going and thought that would be a great way to spend my summer at youth camp. And so they go to camp, and neither of them had ever grown up knowing the Bible stories or any of the stories of the gospel. And so here's what happened during the week of camp. They sat under powerful preaching of the Word of God. They got to be in Bible studies where they heard the Word of God. During church group devotions, they got to hear other students give testimony about how God was working in their lives. They were inundated with powerful preaching each night from the camp pastor. It was a wonderful experience of just being around Christian people, hearing the gospel, hearing the Bible. And then on that final night of camp, Brad came under great and strong conviction as he heard the gospel and he heard his need to repent and and confess and believe in Jesus and he was under the overwhelming weight that if he were to die that night he would spend eternity separated from God in hell and so he cried out in his heart that night to receive Christ as Savior and the Lord pulled him out of his darkness and rescued him and saved him. That's what happened to Brad. Kevin, on the other hand, was thinking about the girls the whole time the sermon was going on. How he was going to meet them afterwards at the cafe. He was starting to get a little bit hungry and was wondering, why does this pastor keep rambling on and on? He knew he was a sinner, but he wasn't that worried about it. Of course, everybody sins. It's not that big of a deal. And so he went away that night feeling a little uncomfortable maybe a little bit pricked in his conscience, but he walked away, never trusting Jesus Christ alone for salvation. He came into camp the same way he left camp, lost. Now, obviously this is a made-up story, but it could be very, very real. And here's a question I have for you this morning, and this morning's going to be a struggle, okay? The text before us is a difficult text that's going to cause us to struggle. But here's my question for you. Why do some people come to faith in Christ and others do not? Have you ever thought about that? Why are you saved but your coworker is not? Why have you trusted Christ for salvation but maybe one of your family members has not? Why do some people come to faith in Christ and why do others not? Well, you're only left with three answers. 
Answer number one, the reason you came to Christ was because it was all up to you to come. Answer number two, you came to Christ because it was a cooperative effort between you and God. Or number three, salvation is all of God from first to last. Now, if you choose option number one or option number two, there leaves room for boasting. You did not come under God's free grace. There was something you did to contribute to your salvation. Last week, we looked at the feeding of the 5,000, and we looked at Jesus walking on the water. And those were pretty amazing miracles for Jesus to feed. We talked about really almost 20,000 people when you count men, women, and children. And the disciples are in the boat, and Jesus comes to them and says, The great I am has shown up. It is I. Don't be afraid. The great I am. Okay, those are the miracles. And I said last week, John chapter 6 is a long chapter. What we've got next is an actual sermon that Jesus preaches in the synagogue at Capernaum. So he's going to explain who he is. He's going to explain salvation. He's going to explain the gospel, these truths. And here's the main point of Jesus' teaching. Here's what he's going to tell us. As the bread of life, Jesus sovereignly ensures your salvation from first to last. As the bread of life, Jesus sovereignly ensures your salvation from first to last. So let's read this together, and we're going to look at just verses 22 through 36 to start out with, and this is the crowd's stunning unbelief. The crowd's stunning unbelief. Verses 22 through 36. Let's read this together. John 6, 22 through 36. This is the next day after the feeding of the 5,000, after Jesus has gone and, and walked on the water. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Okay, remember how big the crowd was? Now, on the next day, they're excited. 
They just saw a huge miracle, feeding of the 5,000. Hey, we're going to get a free meal if we keep following this guy around. So they traveled to the other side of the river, and the text says they were seeking out Jesus. They were diligently searching him. They were trying to get a hold of Jesus. And what does Jesus say to them? Are they really seeking Jesus because he's the, the great I am? Are they seeking Jesus because he's the sovereign Savior? Are they seeking Jesus as the Messiah? No, Jesus tells us that. In verse 27, he says, I'm sorry, verse, verse 26, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You're not seeking me because of who I am. You're seeking me because I gave you a free meal. That's all you're doing. You just want this happy meal. You want this continual daily bread. They're seeking him. And then Jesus gives us this very interesting statement in verse 27. He says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Now, this may sound confusing at first glance. Is Jesus saying we have to work for our salvation? Is Jesus saying you have to do some type of, of work? No, Jesus is not saying that. But they're confused. They're steeped in an unbelief. Notice the two things that they do here. First of all, they think they have to do a work and secondly, they want Jesus to prove himself. Notice what they do in verse 28. They misunderstand Jesus. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? That's a pretty honest answer from a works-based relationship. What do I have to do to earn salvation? There's got to be some religious work I've got to do to be doing the works of God. Just Jesus, just tell me what, what steps I have to follow, what law I have to obey, what must I do to earn eternal life? And Romans 3.28 tells us, For we hold that no one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. We're not saved by works. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying to them, hey, you guys have to do a work to be saved. He uses some interesting terminology. He tells them there's one thing you have to do. One thing required of you. Verse 29, what does he say? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. What is it? What do we have to do? That you believe in him whom he has sent. That's, that's what you need to do, crowd, You've got to believe in me. That's what's required of eternal life is believing. Now, it's interesting the way that Jesus uses the Greek here. It is in the present tense, which means that it's ongoing faith. It's continual trust. It's, it's giving your life to Christ continually. It's not this one time I made a decision, I raised my hand, I signed the card. No, Jesus says you must come in faith to me. It's trusting in Christ is what saves us. This is what Jesus has been saying all along throughout the Gospel of John. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. They're misunderstanding Jesus. They're thinking to themselves, there's got to be something I've got to do in order to earn God's favor. And Jesus says, no, the one thing you've got to do is have faith. You must believe in me. And they're still confused. 
but they don't quite understand what Jesus is saying to them. Notice their second response of unbelief. They are in unbelief. They're not believing Jesus. Look at the second thing they do to him. The first thing is we've got to do some type of religious work in order to be saved. Look at the second thing they do. Verse 30. They said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. What sign? Jesus, you've got to give us proof. Now, what just happened yesterday in this story? Jesus had just fed 5,000 people with five barley loaves and two little sardine fish. Was that not proof enough? If you were there, wouldn't you be amazed? But what are they saying to Jesus? You've got to prove yourself. Show us a sign that you are truly who you say you are. Jesus in Matthew 12, 39 says this about those seeking a sign. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. 1 Corinthians 1, 22-23. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Here's what they're saying to Jesus. That's a pretty cool miracle, Jesus. Feeding the 5,000, that's pretty cool, but you've got to do what Moses did. He brought down bread every day from heaven. You've got to top Moses. This is cool that you fed us once, but this has got to happen every day. We need a sign from heaven. You've got to top what Moses did in the Old Testament. You've got to be bringing that bread down every day. Not just a one-time miracle, Jesus. You've got to prove that you are greater than Moses. And what does Jesus tell them? Listen, guys. Yes, Moses through the power of God, brought down manna in the wilderness. But do you realize that the bread of life is staring you right in the face? I am the bread of life. I am the source of sustenance. I am the true bread that comes down from heaven. I'm the one you need to be feasting on. I'm the one you need to be believing on. You are clueless. Verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And what are they wanting? Hey, hey we want this bread. We, we want this bread always. Give us this bread. And then look at verse 35. This is the first I am statement. There's seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. And if you remember last week, Moses at the burning bush, when he saw um, Yahweh, God spoke out of the burning bush, I am that I am. And so when Jesus uses these I am statements, he's basically saying I'm equal with God. But the way that he says it, in the original language here, you don't get it from your English translations, he says it like this, I, I myself am the bread of life. There's, there's emphasis there. Jesus there says in verse 35, I, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What happens when you come to faith in Christ? What happens when you believe in Jesus? What happens when you place all of your trust in Jesus? He alone satisfies your thirsty soul. He alone gives you sustenance. He alone gives you eternal life. He is the bread of life. That's what he's saying here. You'll never hunger, you'll never thirst spiritually ever again because Jesus alone will satisfy you. In the book of Revelation, it talks about what our experience in heaven is going to be like. Revelation 7, 16 through 17. 
They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb, that's Jesus, in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now in verse 35, Jesus tells us what true faith is. Whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me. So, those are synonyms for the same thing. Coming to Jesus, believing in Jesus, it's the same thing. Again, it's in the present tense. Whoever keeps on continually coming in faith to Jesus, receiving Jesus, not this easy believism where you assign a card, pray a prayer, and you, and you never live like, like you've ever trusted Christ for salvation. It's a, it's a continual embracing of Jesus as Lord. But I want you to see something very tragic in this passage of Scripture. Look at verse 36. It's tragic. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. What's the problem? This crowd has just seen Jesus feed 5,000. They've just heard him preach a message saying, I am the bread of life. They've seen with their own eyes Jesus in the flesh right before them, miraculously doing these miracles. And what does Jesus say to them to their face? You've seen all this. Proof positive, you've seen it. But there's one thing that's wrong. You are not believing in me. You're not trusting in me. You're not coming in faith to me. Now here's the difficult question we've got to ask. Why are they not coming in faith? Why are they not believing? Why are they refusing to come? Well, there have been many answers throughout the generations to answer this age-old question. Some will say the reason that these people are not coming to Jesus is because they're choosing not to come to Jesus. Others would say, well, these people aren't coming to Jesus because he wooed them, he drew them, but in the end, they overcame the wooing. Some might say these people didn't come because Jesus didn't have an altar call and have low lights and play just as I am 15 times. Why are these people not coming? Let me give you Jesus' answer. You may not like his answer, but it's his answer. The reason these people are not coming is because they were not chosen to come to him. It's a matter of sovereign election. So let's continue to look at the words of Jesus. Jesus' sovereign gift of life, verses 37 through 40. And I want to go through this slowly because this is an issue that divides a lot of Christians. And I want us to look at Jesus' words carefully and make sure that our theology comes from Jesus, comes from the text, comes from what emerges from the words right in front of us. So we're going to go slow through this because I want you to understand it. Here we go. Verse 37 through verse 40. Why are these people not coming? Why are these people not believing? Jesus' answer. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. 
For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, verse 37 is a powerful passage of Scripture that teaches God's sovereignty in salvation. So I want us to look at some things here that Jesus teaches us. And I want us to make sure that we understand what Jesus is saying. So I want us to closely follow these words. Here's the first thing that we see. The Father has given a people to Jesus. Look there in verse 37. Look at it with your own eyes. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Down in verse 39, I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. So the Father has given this all, has given this group of people to Jesus. So it brings up another question. Well, who are these people that the Father has given to Jesus, and when did he give them to Jesus? Well, in the rest of the Gospel of John, we see this terminology show up again. John 10, 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. There's the terminology again. The Father has given a group of people to Jesus. John 17, 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. So obviously we have a people here that the Father gave to Jesus out of the world, and and, and, and the Father gave these people to Jesus. Who are these people? Well, the rest of the Bible talks about these people being the elect, being those whom God has chosen. Ephesians 1, 4-5 tells us when. Even as he chose us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. We were chosen before the foundation of the world. When did the Father give these people to Jesus? Before the foundation of the world. 2 Timothy 1, 9. Jesus who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. When did he give us this purpose and grace? Which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And then Revelation 13, 8, talking about the mark of the beast and the name of, of the beast and, and the name of the, and have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. All who dwell on earth will worship it, that's the beast. Everyone whose name has not been written when? Before the foundation of the world in the book of life by the Lamb that was slain. The Bible teaches that the Father gave to Jesus a people before the foundation of the earth called the elect, called the chosen, called his people. Now, the second thing we see here is what Jesus says will happen to these people that were given. Secondly, these people will infallibly come to Christ. Notice verse 37. All, not some, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Does it say may come to me? Might come to me? It says they will come. And coming and believing is the same thing. 
So there's not someone who has been given to Jesus by the Father who won't come. In other words, if God has chosen you before the foundation of the world, what's going to happen? You will come to faith in Christ. You will come. You will believe. Now, I want you to notice the personal nature of this faith. Notice what it says. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Will come to me. This is Jesus speaking. Salvation is not just a belief in a set of doctrines, a set of systems, a personal philosophy. Salvation is personal faith in Jesus, the person of Christ. All that the Father gives me will come to me. They will come in faith to me. They will place their faith in me personally. Now here's the third thing Jesus says. Jesus will never cast out these people who come to faith in him. Notice verse 37. All that the Father gives me, there's election, will come to me, there's belief, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast them out. I will never cast those out who come to me. When Jesus uses the word never there, it's in a double negative in the original language. It means he will most definitely never, ever cast out those who come to faith in him. He's not going to cast you out. Once you come to faith in Christ, you are eternally secure in Christ. He's not going to cast you out. John 10, 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So the Father gives Jesus a people. These people will come, and when they come, Jesus will never cast them out. And here's the, the fourth thing Jesus says here. Jesus will lose nothing of these people whom the Father has given him. Look at verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that the Father has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So, He's not going to lose you if you've been given. Here's the progression. In eternity past, the Father chose you, gave you to Jesus. In time, you came in faith to Jesus. Jesus will never cast you out. He's not going to lose you. And that word lose there is where we get the word perish. Nobody's going to perish who's been given to Jesus. Nobody's going to spend eternity in hell that's been given to Jesus. And so think about this. If Christ has chosen, if God has chosen you before the foundation of the world and he's, he's seen your salvation from first to last, do you think you can do anything to get out of his grip? Do you think you can do anything to lose that salvation? Listen to Romans 8, 38 through 39. Jesus is powerful to keep you saved to the end. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the Father gives the people to Jesus. Those people will come to Jesus. Jesus will never cast out those people. Those people will never be lost. And the fifth thing Jesus says is, Jesus will raise these people up on the last day. Look at verse 39 and 40. All, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is talking about final judgment. 
If you've been given to Jesus, if you've come to faith in Jesus, if you're not going to be lost by Jesus, he's going to guarantee that on the final day you will be raised up and you will have eternal life. John 5, 28-29, we looked at this a few weeks ago. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who've done good to the resurrection of life and those who've done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now this is some of the strongest language in the Bible about sovereign election from first to last. The Father chose you. The Father will keep you. You will never be lost. You will never be cast out. You will be raised up on the last day. And these are from the lips of, of Jesus. So you can be guaranteed as the bread of life that he will sovereignly secure your salvation from first all the way to last and everything in between. That's why Jonah can say in Jonah 2.9, salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, some of you are probably thinking something right now. I know you're thinking this, some of you. How do I know if I'm the one that was chosen? How do I know if God chose me? How do I know if I was given to the Father? I'm given by the Father Jesus. How do I know if I'm one of the elect? How do I know? Jesus doesn't leave us in the dark. He answers the question for us. Look at verse 40. He tells how you know. Verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Simple question. Have you believed in Jesus? Have you looked upon the Son for eternal life? Are you trusting in Christ for salvation? Have you come to faith in Christ? If you've come to faith in Christ, if you've trusted in Christ, if you are placing your faith in Christ, that's evidence that God's given you to Jesus. Because what does that passage say? All that the Father gives me will come. You will come. Evidence of your election is that you've come to faith in Christ. And it's great encouragement. It should be great encouragement for you to know that God has sovereignly secured your salvation from first to last. That you're in the solid grip. That you're never going to be lost. You're never going to be plucked out. He's planned your salvation from before the foundation of the world, and he's going to ensure your salvation to the very end, that he's going to raise you up on the last day. And everything in between, God is guaranteeing that you will be kept for Christ. That should help you sleep at night, help you struggle, strengthen you during times of struggle. But we need to deal with verse 36 again. But I said to you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. These people are not believing. These people are not coming. These people are not having faith in Christ. Why are they not coming? Why do they not have faith in Christ? We may not like the answer, but it's Jesus' answer. The reason they're not coming to faith in Christ is because they were not given to the Father, or they were not given to Jesus by the Father. If they had been given to Jesus by the Father, what would they do? They would come. They would come. We're going to deal with this again from the words of Jesus in John 10, 25 through 26. Here's what he says. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. Here's another group of people that are not believing. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Verse 26, 
you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. Now, now wait a minute, Jesus. You got that backwards. You got that backwards, Jesus. You misspoke. You got the order reversed, Jesus. You should have said the reason you're not believing, the, the reason that you're, here's what, Jesus, here's what we think Jesus said. You believe and then you become a sheep. That's not what Jesus says. What does he say? The reason you're not believing is because you're not a sheep. A sheep believes. How do you become a sheep? The Father has to give you to Jesus. And here's the bottom line. If this crowd was chosen for salvation, they would believe. They would come. They're not coming because they weren't given by the Father to Jesus. Because verse 37 says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. They will come. Now, this may be a difficult pill to swallow. That God has chosen some for salvation and he has passed by others and left them in their sin. And we may not understand all the ins and outs of sovereign election and predestination. At the end of the day, it's a mystery. But there's one thing that we do know. None of us deserve salvation. And none of us deserve to be elected or chosen. And so there's no room for boasting. There's no room to say, hey, there's something special in me that, that moved God to choose me over somebody else. We don't know at the end of the day. All we know is that we can't appeal to God's fairness. Because if we were to appeal to God's fairness, all of us would go to hell. Now, let's ask the question again. Why do some people come to faith in Christ and others do not? Well, Pastor Sean, you just answered the question. Some were chosen for life and some were not. Some were given by the Father to Jesus, others were not. Yes, but Jesus goes on to explain it in more detail. He's going to talk about sin and the devastating nature of human sinfulness. So let's look at the sinner's spiritual inability. Verses 41 through 44. The people don't like what Jesus had to say. It was offensive to them. Verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he know? How does he now say I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 44 is key. No one can come. Is Jesus talking about permission or ability? Let's just give you an example. I go teach the first grade Sunday school class. And a kid comes up and pulls my leg and says, Pastor Sean, can I go to the bathroom? And I say, I don't know, can you? Do you have the ability to go to the bathroom? Well, that's not what I meant. What's he mean? May I go to the bathroom? Yes, you may. You have permission. Is Jesus here talking about permission or ability? Is he saying, no one has permission to come to me? Is he saying, no one has the ability to come to me? Which one's he saying? Let the text answer it for us. In the original language, in the Greek text, when it says no one can come, it means no one has the ability. No one has the inherent ability to come to Jesus. And you have to ask the question, Now, wait a minute. Why can't we come? Jesus just said, all who come to me, I will never cast out. But we can't come. How are we going to come? Why can't we come? 
Well, the, the Bible answers the reason why we can't come. The Bible re- answers the reason why we're not able. Let me just give you a few examples here of total depravity and the issue of sin, that we don't want to come to Jesus and we can't come to Jesus left to ourselves. Jeremiah 13, 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Can an Ethiopian wake up one day and say, hey, I don't want to have dark skin? And what's the answer? No. Why? Why? It's in his nature. Can a leopard wake up and say, I want to be a tiger? No, because it's in his nature. Can you wake up one day and say, hey, I want to be going from being good from being a sinner? No, you can't because it's in your nature. Romans 8, 7 through 8. The mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. You cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're, if you're a lost person, you cannot please God. You cannot submit to God. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person, the lost person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. We are totally dead in sin. We don't understand. We don't come. We're dead. We're lost. We cannot. We will not. We don't want to come to Jesus. And so here's the question. Well, then how did I ever come to Jesus? If I can't, if I'm dead, if no one can come, how did I come? How did I believe? How did I trust? Was there something special in me that made me do it? What, what was the issue? Well, let's look, at the, let's look how Jesus answers the question. Verse 44, read all of it. No one can come to me unless. What's the unless there? There's got to be an unless. God has to do something in order for you to come. What has to happen? Well, Jesus tells us, unless the Father who sent me draws him. What must happen to any person if they're going to come? They've got to be drawn. The Father must draw them. You and your deadness of sin are never going to want to come to Christ. You don't want to. You can't. You're dead in your heart. You're spiritually dead. You're depraved. You don't want to come to Jesus. You cannot come to Jesus. The Father has to work in you to overcome that deadness, to cause you to be born again, to liberate your heart so that you freely do come, unless the Father does that. Now remember what Jesus said back in verse 37. These tie together. All that the Father gives me, what? Will come to me. Now, why did they come? Because the Father had given them to Jesus, and now the Father is drawing them to Jesus. And some people I've heard characterize this and say, man, that makes it sound like God drags people kicking and screaming against their will to heaven. God never drags anybody kicking and screaming against their will to heaven because here's the bottom line. Nobody wants to go to heaven. If left to yourself in your deadness of sin, you're always going to rebel against God. You're in your deadness. You're in your depravity. No sinner has the ability to come to Jesus. No sinner wants to come to Jesus. No sinner wants eternal life until, unless, Jesus says, the Father does something. The Father must do this drawing. God has to invade your heart. You would never come to faith in Christ unless, Jesus says, the Father draws you. The Father must draw you. The Father must bring you. The Father must work in you. The Father must um, overcome that deadness. The Father must give you the ability Go down to verse 65. We'll get to this in a few weeks. John 6, 65. Jesus reiterates it again. 
And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. God has to grant it. God has to draw. God has to do the work. Now here's the question you're probably asking. Does the Father draw all people to come? No. Because if everybody's drawn, everybody will come. Does everybody come? Are there people in hell right now that haven't come? Look at the rest of verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So those who are drawn are raised up on the last day. Is everybody raised up on the last day to eternal life? No. So there are some people that would say this. God draws sinners up to a certain point. He woos them. He works in them. He convinces them. But ultimately, at that point, God is hands off, and he lets the person use their free will to go the rest of the way. God woos them. God moves in them, but ultimately the choice is up to them whether they're going to come or not. It's a, it's a strong invitation, but God doesn't bring them all the way to salvation. The problem with that is that it doesn't take into consideration the deadness and sin that people have. That if anybody's going to come to faith in Christ, God's got to do all of it. God's got to bring them all the way. So let's just look at Jesus' logic here. Who will be drawn? Only those that were given by the Father to Jesus. Will they come when they're drawn? Yes. What does verse 37 say? All that the Father gives me will come to me. Not may come to me, they will come to me. Is Jesus going to drive them out when they come? No. Are they going to be lost when they come? No. Are they going to be raised up on the last day to eternal life? Yes. So here's the situation. All of us here are spiritually dead without the drawing of the Father. And God must draw you to salvation all the way. Bring you all the way. Now, some of you may be unsettling, unsettled this morning. Wow, that sounds pretty sovereign. Some of you may be like freed up this morning. Wow, it finally makes sense. Here's the point. We can sit here and debate all day long the doctrine of election and predestination and how it all works. And if you're new to this, I'm not as concerned with that at this moment. Here's the question that I want you to answer, and is this. Have you personally come to faith in Jesus? That's the bottom line. Regardless of what view of election you have, everybody's at one point got to come to faith in Christ. Now, you may believe I came because it was my free will. Others may believe God drew you. Regardless of how you view it, you still got to come. And the question for you today is, you can think of all the, 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 the theoretical election. The, question, the bottom line for you is, have you personally come to faith in Christ? Have you received him personally? Are you being drawn by the Father? Some of you may have been coming week after week and you're not even really sure why you keep coming back. I don't know why I keep coming back and hearing this guy speak because he talks for a long time and I really don't understand what's happening. But 
As I'm sitting there listening to the gospel, there's something welling up in my heart. My eyes are beginning to be open. I'm being drawn to Jesus for the first time. It's starting to make sense. I never understood this before, and now it's all making sense, and and I'm coming under conviction of my sin, and I'm seeing my deadness, and I'm seeing my need for Christ, and I'm seeing my need for forgiveness, and I'm starting to understand the songs that we're singing. That could be strong evidence that God is drawing you, and you may be about this close to coming. So God may be drawing you to himself. Have you come? Have you come to the bread of life? You know, Jesus here says he's going to sovereignly ensure your salvation from first to last. When you come, he'll never cast you out. When you come, he'll never lose you. And when you come, he will raise you up on the last day as the bread of life. And when you step foot into heaven, you're not going to be bragging and boasting about what you accomplished. You're going to fall on your knees and joy and awe in what he's accomplished because it's his sovereign grace that's overcome your deadness. And so will you come to Christ this morning? That's, Jesus offers an invitation. Regardless of how sovereign this is, Jesus still offers the invitation, will you come? Will you come to Jesus? Will you personally place your faith in Christ? It's the bread of life. His promise to you is that you'll never go hungry, you'll never go thirsty. He will satisfy the very depths of your soul. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He will make you new. He will accept you before the Father. He will give you a place in heaven. He will totally transform your life. But you've got to come to him in faith, personally. Not just an idea about who Jesus is, not a philosophy, not a set of rules. Come to him. Have you personally come to faith in the bread of life? And when you do, you have the assurance that he'll never let you go. And that helps you sleep at night. And that gives you hope for the future. That you are in his sovereign grip and he will never let you go. So let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. That's fine. We can walk out of here with differences of opinion on these minor issues, but the bottom line is, have you personally come to faith in Jesus Christ alone as your Lord and Savior for eternal life. And if you have, would you spend some time this morning just praising him that he has received you, he's drawn you, he's chosen you, he will never let you go, he will never cast you out, and he will raise you up on the last day. From first to last, he will guarantee your salvation. Would you spend some time meditating, reflecting, praying, on the words of Jesus this morning. prayer this morning that all of us would have come to that point where we have personally placed our faith in you, Jesus. We don't want anybody to leave this room without knowing that Christ is the bread of life, And that, Jesus, you have come to die for our sins and rise again. And that we must come to you. My prayer is if there's anybody in this room that's never come to faith in Christ, never believed in Jesus for salvation, that today, Father, would be the day that you draw them all the way. You overcome the deadness in their heart. You overcome the sin 
and you grant them new life and they have joy in their heart because they've been forgiven. Lord, I pray that we would ponder these truths. These are difficult truths. They're hard to understand at times. We may have some differences of opinion in this room even on, on, on these, in these issues. But Lord, help that not to divide. Help us to understand that the bottom line is the gospel in coming to faith in Christ. We can argue about secondary issues, but Lord, ultimately we want to be about the gospel. So help us to be faithful to that. Help us to worship you. Lord, we do continue to pray for Vacation Bible School this week that the gospel would ring forth and that many children would come to Christ, come to faith, believe and trust in Jesus alone for salvation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.